Hello and welcome to the Prog Magazine podcast. I'm Jerry Ewing, the editor, and I'm joined with Joe Kendall. Hello. And our very special guest today, Mr. Carl Palmer. Hello. Carl, Hello. absolute delight to have you with us. Isn't yeah, it? brilliant. Know, did you know my full name is Carl Kendall Palmer? Well, it is because... Um, we you just... spell yours with a double L? With a double L, Good. yeah. Um, we have we have discussed this, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec, okay. because Jerry is going to yeah. segue so, into that. I was going to say, the last time we saw you, Carl, yes. we were giving you a Prog God Award. Oh, it was a Prog God, yeah, I could not believe it. Last year. I thought you got the name wrong, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was uh, deeply impressed, and a lot of people have come up and said, what's it feel like being a Prog God? I said, it's difficult to explain, really. I said, I feel pretty much the same, but I've got this award now, you know. So that was nearly a year ago, we're coming up to the Prog yes. Awards, um, yeah. obviously in September yes. this year, so uh, we were wondered if you'd brought it back because we're going to have to take it away from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could definitely have it back if you need it. But only for a short rental period. <laughs> so, so did you have a good time on the night? Um, I thought it was a fantastic... I always think those things are great. You know, yeah. you meet a lot of people you haven't seen for a while. Um, no, it was, a, it was a lovely evening. They always are. I think they're really well organised and they've got better as the years have gone on. Because you were there at the very first one we did I in Kew Gardens. I was, I was, yeah. And that's what I was going to talk to you about because that's when you first said to me, because you were sat on my table and you were waiting. I've been doing some stuff. I think I might have been working. I'm not sure. Yes. But um, I got to my table and you were excitedly said to me, I'm a Kendall too. Because yes. you'd see my name next year. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's when we spoke about yeah. our various dynasties and yeah, how they might yeah, intersect yeah. because mine, mine are hairdressers from Tring from the 17th oh, century and mine yours. Are, mine are artisans from the north of England, uh, apparently saddle makers, shoemakers, that's the deal. Yeah. Mm. In actual fact, the reason why I'm Palmer is because my father died, Frederick Kendall, when I was two and a half years old. My mother remarried and I took on the name Palmer, so that's how that comes about. So I really know my second father's my real father. Sure. I never actually knew my first dad, but uh, he was a piano player, so that's some of the music. There, you know, ah, right. So that's where that kicks in, yeah. So yeah, so that was at Kew Gardens. Yes, that, that, that was. That, that, you know, that was the first night I ever met. Uh, first time I'd met Justin Haywood. Oh, what a lovely guy he oh. is. Love him. See, it's weird this because I, I think we think it as well because we're fans, just like the people that yeah. read, read the mag. They think you guys all know each other because we don't. Yeah. It's completely untrue. And, and that, you know, your, your paths must have crossed so many times because of all the tours. Well, let me tell you what it's stuff. like. For example, on that particular day at Kew, I met Justin. Very, very nice. And we were together like for hours, it mm. seemed, you know. He was kind of on his own, kind of milling around. The next time I see him, um, I'm on the Moody Blues cruise. I get invited. I've got a cabin next to him. I don't see him on the ship anywhere. I see him play. So if I hadn't have met him that night, I would have never met him on that five-day cruise. And it's a boat where we can't get off, and I still didn't meet him. I think this is the thing, though. Um, one of the most important parts of the Prog Awards is the mingle time, and there isn't probably quite enough of it because people do love to get together and have a chat. Well, the strangest thing ever was the last one, I think, when you gave Roy Wood... Yes. Award. Now, Roy Wood is a big fan. I'm a big fan, by the right. way. Not because he's from Birmingham, but we all know about 18 top 10 singles or whatever he had. Yes. We all know that. Yeah. Um, but Roy actually came down to the very first Asia session. Right. We all, we're looking at each other, need a lead singer, need someone. And John was saying, yes, be nice to have another guy in there singing because I can do vocal backing, so can Jeff. But lead singing, I, can, I could sing the odd song, you know. I said, but look, we need someone. I said, you have thought of Roy Wood, great writer. Oh, get him down. Anyway, Roy came down and he played and he was lovely. And he would look at Steve Howe and he'd say, can you play a bit of that posh guitar, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, that, and he was lovely. But on that particular night at the awards, the last ones, um, I was waiting for him to come off stage because I think 
you presented him the award first. Yes, we he did. Was, and he came running off. He's talking about catching a train. I said, Roy, where are you going? He said, I've got to get to the train station. Right. I said, can't you stay? No, no. I said, well... Uh, I'll e- email you. because you email oh, you... Roy, you no, don't get yes. an email back. I know that. I mean, it, uh, it If you're took, listening, it, Roy, it, come on, email back. It took, <laughs> it took, in fact, you know how we actually finally managed to get hold of Roy? It was through Rick Wakeman. Uh, I was with Rick um, and we were having a chat about uh, something that we were doing. I can't remember. But I'd said, we're trying to get you. I said, yeah, no, Roy would do you because Rick knows everybody. Yeah. He goes, I do, actually. And uh, I said, look, we've been emailing. He goes, oh, no, he'll never reply to Doesn't, an email. Doesn't. So Rick said, hang on a minute, I'll call him up for you. So he phones, got the answer phone. He said, all right, it's Rick. You know, um, I'm, I'm sat with Jerry Ewing, the editor of Prog Magazine, and uh, he's been trying to get in touch with you um, about the Prog Awards, which is a great <laughs> night. Uh, anyway, put the phone down. A minute later, his phone rang. Oh, it was <laughs> there you go. And that was That's how. That's a result. But a I've result. later found out that Roy is like, he's your total... I, everywhere by train, I'll, I'll make my own way here, there, and everywhere. And oh, he's really? always, and he literally booked it. He said, I'll come down. I'll, you know, I'll get the train down, but I've got to get the train back. Can you do me first? Because I need to. <laughs> and literally, that's, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think he's up in Derbyshire, isn't he? Somewhere, <laughs> somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you'll yeah. never get a reply. So I, on email. I, know, I know Roy from Carl Wayne and the Vikings. Oh, love oh, that. Right. Because I was in the King Bees, you said. Yes. So the King Bees, Carl Wayne and the Vikings, the Spencer Davis group, the Cheaters, those, and uh, what was the, there was another one, there was the Band of Joy, obviously, you know about that with Robert Plant. And then there was another one called The Uglies, which I think had... um, uh, Jeff Lennon. Mm-hmm, that's right. Yeah. Before Idle Race. Actually, yeah. Idle Race is actually actually the band. Then I think they changed their name to the Uglies. Yeah. I know them from Idle okay. Race. Yeah. So this is interesting because the new issue of Prog has, has got has oh. got we've got a big interview with Bev Bevan. Ah, I know Bev very right. well. Right, ain't it? And he, of course, he talks about obviously that Birmingham music scene yes. that, that you all grew out of yes. was really. I mean, people talk about Mersey Beat oh, and things Birmingham like that. Had it. Birmingham was just yeah. as unbelievable. Now the funny thing is, over the years, Tony Iommi has become you know a big friend, and we often meet up in the Cotswolds. We've both got properties out there, and and uh, I never knew Tony when he was in Birmingham because they were still a garage band and I'd already left when I was 15. Of course. Had my audition with Chris Farlow at the Bag of Nails in Kingley Street, right? To join the Thunderbirds. I had my 16th birthday here. So I kind of missed them just by months, literally. Anyway, the next time we get to see, I get to see Tony, um, and I realise they're from Birmingham, is at the California Jam. Uh, and they're supporting, there's Deep Purple, mm. Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Dual headliners, yep. and you've got Black Oak, Arkansas, you've got this, you've got that, and you've got Black Sabbath. It's County Jam 74. Yes, mm. and there it is. It's a, but I, it was such a rush, I didn't get to... No. Hi, hi, oh. yeah, see you later. No mingle time there. No mingle time. It's hard to get mingle time. It is hard to get mingle time. So. Airports were mingle time. Yeah, yeah, that's they? true, that's yeah. true. Anyway, what a great guy he is, Tony Iommi. So what was what was that that sort of late 60s period like in um, in Birmingham? And I assume it, was, it must have sort of gone past in a flash, because... So many bands and so many people sort of interchanging and bands changing names and and but everyone's sort of kind of on the ascendancy, yeah, weren't they? On the I verge of making it. I couldn't it. believe it. Like I was playing at a place called uh, the Carlton Ballroom, which became Mothers, which was the big gig in Birmingham, mm. where people like Duran Duran started off, and you know to like make it a bit more sort of up to date, as it were. But the early bands were people like Spencer Davis, the Idol Race, uh, the King Bees, who changed their name to the Craig, who I was in. Um, but it was just 
an unbelievable situation because I'd walk in there one night and you'd hear the Idol Race playing. Jeff Lynn would be on guitar. He'd have his Telecaster. We'd hear all these great sounds coming out the guitar. And what we didn't realise, he was using his little pinky on the volume control and bending all these notes. You'd think, there was no pedals that did that. How did he do it? You know, And that's the kind of level it was coming in at, you know. And then, you know... John Bonham, a big friend for many years, um, many, many years we knew each other. Um, I think we met each other when I was about 15, he was 17. I was just about to leave uh, Birmingham and I left and joined Chris Farlow. And John was still in Birmingham. Anyway, when I had the opportunity to move on to uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown, the deal with Chris Farlow was if I wanted my job back, if it didn't work out with the crazy world of Arthur Brown, I had to find a drummer. So I called Johnny up and said, Johnny, come down. This is a good gig. Join the Thunderbirds. So Johnny came down. I think he was there for about three months. And then he got the call from Jimmy Page, I think. And the rest is history. Uh, just one more, Joe, before you... I mean, I was, the other interesting... Because obviously you are very young when you, you said you left... 15 when you left Birmingham. Yeah, I was, yeah. So what was the difference between the scene that you left in Birmingham to arriving in London and what was going on there? Well, I'll tell you what, I was really disappointed when I got to London because everyone said all oh, the musicians in London are, like, so good, so good. Now, I'd gone straight into a great band, you know, Albert Lee on guitar, Dave Greenslade, these were the Thunderbirds, right? So that was really high-end, but I thought the level in general was quite low. All the good players were actually outside of London. You know, they'd come from the north or come from the south. So when I got here, I was kind of looking at the bands and thinking, well, look at all the great bands we've got in Birmingham, you know. It's just unbelievable, really. It go from the Moody Blues, you know, right through to Duran Duran. You've got Black Sabbath, you've got ELO, you've got, you know, um, half of Led Zeppelin. So many, so much talent in such a, well, not a small area, it's a big area. So when I got here, I was kind of thinking, well... They must have London bands, but there's no such thing really as a London band. I've only ever played with one Londoner in all my life, and that's Steve Howe. Right. Well, that's the thing, and he is true London. Um, Top, upper, upper Hol- yeah, and Upper Holloway yeah, as well. Yeah. And, um, in fact, we were chatting about him recently because I'm a big fan of Joe Meek, um, oh, one yeah, of the most yeah. experimental producers yeah, 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 ever, yeah. and I live in Finsley Park, so yeah, Holloway yeah. Road is close well, by. Well, I went to see the film. You know, oh, the yeah, it's great, out. isn't it? And Telstar. The, yeah, Telstar. Yeah. And across the road from the cinema was his studio, which is above the, uh, I think it's now a Turkish sort of... Uh, it is, it's a whole... Vegetable shop, right? Yeah, or whatever, right. fruit shop. Yeah, there's, um, a, yeah. there's psychological yeah. as well, cycle shop yeah. underneath yeah. it. But, um, yeah, so Steve Howe was in the syndicate. So Steve Howe, you know, goes back a long time, actually, with me, because Steve Howe goes back to um, me forming my first band, Atomic Rooster, with Vincent Crane, after we left Arthur Brown. Steve came down for an audition. And so did John Wetton, funnily enough. Really? Like a fool, I passed on both of them. Brilliant. Brilliant. They didn't bring that up the no, minute no, Asia no, got no, together. No, 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 we didn't. We, didn't. We, wanted, we wanted a bass player that played flute, which we got. And John right. said, I, don't, I can play violin. We said, no, we wanted flute. And uh, I think Steve, with Steve, um, Steve didn't want to play on the rock blues side of life. He was a bit more progressive. Mm-hmm. And Atomic Rooster was kind of falling in between the cracks as it were and that's how Vincent and I wanted it so it didn't quite work out but they became friends and remained friends forever after and then we got together in a band you know so great story that, well, I really. realized the, the, the reason that I was mentioning Steve you, you were saying Steve is because Steve is this year's broadcast yes he is mm. yes. so, so the, the mantle quite passes from yourself so, yeah, to yeah we love that that's a great so, choice by the way thank you very well much well done Steve <laughs> um, so one thing that intrigues me, because if you, looking back, I mean, obviously hindsight's a wonderful thing, but if you look back at the history of rock music and you see that, you know, uh, 
Chris Farlow, you you were with Chris, and yeah. then uh, the Crazy World of Arthur Brown, yeah. and then um, uh, Tommy Rooster, then Emerson Lake and Palmer yeah. comes calling. Um, all of those made a big impact. Yes. Um, not as big, obviously, as ELP, no. but they all, you know, they are all firmly ensconced in the history of rock music, yeah, and, and and in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, did it? I mean, I guess it doesn't feel like that at the time. And did it? Did it seem to move very quickly? Because it was it was sort of sixty seven to sort of sixty nine yeah. seventy, and then suddenly you're in the band that sort of took over your life for yeah. at least the next decade. Very very quick. I mean, to to tell you the truth, from Chris Farlow to the Crazy World of Arthur Brown was my big learning curve. First time I go to America, start to learn about writing, publishing, and the management and how all that stuff works. And I'm into this kind of psychedelic you know, makeup type of music. This is way before Kiss. This is the... Be- I mean, Arthur doesn't get the credit he should for it, but he was the first of the... Panto- yeah. The first I'm- pantomime rock groups, if you you know he, what I mean. And, yeah. and also, I reckon that Alice Cooper and people like him influenced he was Right, he Arthur. was there first, first, yeah. first. Um, unbelievable. So I saw him play with his band. It was Dracian Theaker on drums. I went one night, saw it, it was great. Then, I think about two months later, I get a call from Mel Baster saying, this is their tour manager saying, the old drummer has kind of freaked out, bit of a problem, they need some recordings done, would you come in and record? So I went in and recorded with Arthur. The next minute, um, we recorded X amount of stuff. The album's finished, whatever happens, whoever goes on the album, there's a few drummers. I don't get listed on the album. There's people like um, John Heisman, who's just passed away, yep. a great friend of mine, uh, John Marshall, uh, and Dracian Theka. Um, but I played on these sessions. Um, when I said to um, I said to Vincent one day, you know, who's on these sessions? You know, when I was in the band, who actually played? He said, oh, he said, Kit Lambert never put put it on the box, so we never, we never found out. He said, I'm on it and Arthur's on it. We don't even know if Nick Graham, the bass player's on it, or whoever it was. I said, is that right? He said, I said, well, what about the drummers? He said, well, we put three drummers down. We thought that was about right. So I'm in the band now, and the album's <laughs> number one, and the single, yeah. and I'm having a ball. I'm thinking, okay, fine. And they were very good to me. They paid me very, very well, gave me a percentage and all of that and that went very quickly because it was over in a flash Mm. so you're in america you're number one and then you're gone within about a year so you think oh oh is that how this business works (laughs) so i immediately came back and thought well we better do something i better do something else vincent wanted to come thank god and i managed to get robert stigwood interested in the management went to see robert and he said yes i like the sound of this so we had to go and that was it and the ironic thing about Atomic Rooster was, by the time I got the call from Greg and Keith, um, or from their management, EG Management, I'd already made an album, was into the next album, and we'd already recorded some demos. And one of the demos was Tomorrow Night. Tomorrow Night was the only number one single Atomic Rooster. So it was a bit weird. When I was in rehearsals with Keith and Greg, they... Vincent had to re-record all the stuff. They were number one, and I'm sitting there thinking, mm, I wonder, have I made a mistake here? <laughs> Obviously, I hadn't. So it's interesting how it goes on. I mean, you know. one, oh. one of the toughest things, one of the toughest jobs we've had with the Prog Awards is uh, obviously when, you know, when before the Prog God is, an, is announced, yeah. um, we run a, a, a little film. Yeah. A montage that yeah, we've, yeah. Put, we've put together that that tries to highlight every facet of, mm, of mm, the mm. career. Obviously, concentrating on the big bits, but we, you know, we like to be as fastidious as we can and get in, you know, everything. The toughest job we had was finding footage of you 
with Atomic Rooster and with uh, Very Vincent, few. but there, we did manage yeah, it. There is one, yes. Tiny little yeah, clip. Yeah, there's one little we, clip. <laughs> that was shot in a basement in, it is, in East London. It is, the Atomic London. Rooster one. Yeah, is. yeah, below the car showroom. And we, literally, it just cuts to yeah. you. You're Brief, there briefly, yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> so that really yeah. was one of the well th- you know one of the interesting things is is that I've been in four different bands that have had number one singles which is unbelievable really that's that's a brilliant record actually I, I mean if you, you think about I, I mean I've been incredibly lucky incredibly lucky it's not as if I planned it it was I, luck you know? I would say a great uh, that's a great trivia quiz question Name name yeah. the drummer who's had four number ones with four different yeah. bands. I mean, yeah. uh, tomorrow night, you know, yep. I wasn't there because he got re-recorded, but, but I would. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, ELP and obviously Asia's fine. As far as the uh, as far as uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown, I'll always re- be remembered for being that drummer. Mm. That could well be Dration or it could be John Marshall, it could be John Iceman. <laughs> to be honest, Who I'm, knows? I'm still thinking about Roy Wood singing in Asia. What that would be <laughs> like? Well, <laughs> well, you know something. When he did sing, he was good. He yeah. was good. He but he'd be going good. down a power pot. I route, still remember surely. a tune he came. I said, we said, have you got any material then, Roy? And he said, I've got one called Aerial Pictures. I said, ooh, I like that. And he started to play it. And John's looking at me. Could be a bit too poppy, Carl. I'm thinking, yeah, but we're going to need something, aren't we, to open the door? You know, because it was of that period, if you remember, where prog rock was not getting played yeah. on the radio, mm. especially in America. Well, this, drive this... time had finished. Yeah. Your drive time or prog time on the radio was 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. No good. No yeah. good. No. So we had to try and cross over and get something. Which, which you did, we, we did superbly. Yeah. We only did it on that first album, really. The second one wasn't too bad, but it was very difficult to do. Very difficult. If it wasn't for Geffen, and they always talk about the time being right in the music business. If you get your timing right, then you're in. And we did, beginning of MTV. Yeah. Geffen wanted a new label. He wanted to be involved with the management. So he had all of that, and he had us, basically. So it was, so, a, it was a nice call. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember actually being quite angry. I, I was in the UK by that point, reading the uh, old, you know, these guys have got together in a band called Asia. And and obviously the UK press was somewhat dismissive. This is at the point where you have four weekly magazines. Oh, yeah. Or, you know, newspapers in the Sounds, NME, Melody Maker, Record Mirror. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and even though Sounds was, was perhaps the pro heavy rock one, you know, prog was very yeah. much a dirty word yeah, yeah. Uh, to the UK media. Um, so they were sort of looking down their nose. And I remember thinking, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Yeah. Little did I know that, you know, like t- 10 years later, I'd be part, yeah, yeah. part, part of that very same media yeah, and learning absolutely. to understand absolutely. how they all worked. Yeah. But, but, it's quite it's quite amazing, actually, how much prog is respected in America, you know, because, you know, they, they gave the world jazz and we gave the world prog, basically. Yeah. You know? And over there, it's, uh, it's really, it's a true art. Well, I mean, it will last a long time, I believe. Emerson, Lake and, Palmer, forever, Emerson yeah. Lake and Palmer were, were huge mm. in America. I mean, at the point... We had about three years, to be honest with you, Jerry, where but we were top were, draw, top yeah. draw, top draw. I mean... Uh, and incidentally, I don't know if you know this, sorry to interrupt, but we actually took Yes to America for s- their first five concerts. Because so, people always say, oh, was a lot of competition and, you know, was a lot of... No, 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 there wasn't. We, you know, we knew the guys. I knew mm. Steve and I knew Bill and whatever. And we got asked, could we come and join you on a tour? He said, yeah, how about the first five concerts, wherever they It worked out for them because they, they had some club dates that followed. And we took them. So there was no big deal between us and yes. We were actually friends, you know, but it never appeared that way in the press oh, for right. some unknown reason. I don't know what... Well, you but, know, but, I mean, we know what you, the press you, is like. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> but ELP spearheaded that. Jethro Tull and yes came through... Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a, the BBC did a great programme. Uh, it was called, you know, The Supergroups That Broke America. And it, it, it took a serious look. Yeah. 
at the impact, mm. you know, not not the, 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 the you'd expect from the UK of kind of like, my God, how did these hands ever achieve this? Mm. It was like, no, this was serious. You know, yeah, Led yeah, Zeppelin, yeah. Emerson, Lake and yeah. Palmer, mm-hmm. you know, way before the likes of Genesis and Pink Floyd got so big, you guys had, had laid the groundwork yeah. and been really big. I mean, to, to tell you the truth, Floyd, you know, surpassed ELP. But that was know. so much later on. It was, it was. And, you know, a lot of the blueprints were already there for people yeah. to copy and whatever. But they did, they, they surpassed but it. ELP, and obviously Genesis did as well because they're a little more poppy, you know. But again, much later, sort of late 70s, yeah, yeah. Uh, early 80s was was the arena days for them. Yeah, yeah. So you really, ELP were really the groundbreakers yeah. in that kind we of thing. We missed a lot of the arena dates, you know. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We, we I mean, um, re- arenas and stadiums, yes, we did a few, but when you compare it to what people were doing later, mm. such as Pink Floyd, right. such as, we, we were kind of like the footballers who missed the big paydays, if you see what I mean, if there's a way to sort of draw an analogy well, I, there. I, I suppose if you think about it then, um, Zeppelin really sort of started a great, really big was 74, just about the point where you guys had decided to take a break. Yeah, 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 right. yeah, yeah. And don't forget what they were selling as well, music-wise, was so much more sort of widespread oh. on radio. And we had already become a little bit niche by then, you know, and that's the way it was. But I think and, for the style of show, you just blew the doors open, really, We didn't did, you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people say how big that ELP show was because of the three trucks. You know, that's nothing really today. Oh, no. If you look at what you 2 do and Rolling they've got leapfrog stages and all of this, mm. you know. You know what? I think, I think if there wasn't that footage... Right, of the trucks. Of the three trucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No one would really make such yeah. a big thing about it. Yeah. But People just... say, oh, was your name painted on the top? And I say, I hate to, you know, <laughs> break the, the, the image. But no, it was superimposed, you know, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but, even, even then they had Photoshop. <laughs> but, but, I mean, what, what was that? I mean, because you were groundbreaking musically. Yeah. You know, I mean, that wonderful fusion of classical music and yeah, rock yeah. music with, with a, you know, a big side helping a jazz thrown in as yeah. well, putting all that together. Eclectic the music was, to be um, honest. You know, but also making, you know, the inroads in, you know, you did the Isle of Wight, that was yeah. sort of... Um, a last know. minute, by the way. <laughs> last minute. Yeah, you, 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 you were groundbreaking in pioneering a, a British progressive band in America, yeah. uh, opening doors, for, you know, as we said, for the, the others that, that sort yeah. of came through. Um, you know, until it got to that point, obviously, where, you know, people say, oh, it got too big. It must have been quite a ride, though, up and... Well, it, it didn't get too big because everything's bigger than that anyway. The people who were writing that were just not yeah. very versed in what, how music was going to develop, what should be done, how you can present music with the visuals as well as audio. If you go back to the Isle of Wight, the Isle of Wight was the opening for us. There's 47 minutes of music we played there. We went there really basically unknown. I mean, the nice was a little bit more known, the King Crimson more than Atomic Rooster. But as three people as a group unknown, we left internationally known. Mm. We were now stars after that one 47-minute hit. Possibly and, the shortest set Emerson Lake and Palmer ever played. Yes, yes, yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to take the, the money. Track. I didn't want to take the money. I said, no, keep it. I'll play some more. Um, and then, then it all started for us. So it was, it was a, a great time. And it went on from there. And really, America became became our oyster. You know, we could do anything we want there and they accepted it all. In and spite it, of you doing uh, America in a previous incarnation. Well, that was Keith. That was Keith, Keith wasn't Keith, it? Keith, yeah, yeah. the The odd thing in America was where we eventually broke through was, number one, we weren't guitar-driven. We were keyboard-driven. Yeah. We didn't play a lot of rock and roll. We played classical adaptations. And the people started calling us a prog group. Why did they call us a prog group? Because we had a Moog synthesizer, which is the latest instrument of the day, and we had long intros and they, 
you know, very experimental, but all arranged. In actual fact, the music of VLP was very eclectic. We played jazz, mm -hmm. we played a bit of rock, we played classical adaptations, we played folk songs. We played ballads. You know. all, all, of the, all of the doors that got opened were opened by Greg Lake's writing, really. C'est vie, still you turn me on, from the beginning, lucky man. Mm. If we didn't have had those, and we just had the prog, we wouldn't have got on radio. No. So when you say it's a prog band, it's actually quite a narrow band you're putting on it because it's quite eclectic, the music. Yeah, we and might because call it of... a legacy, in yeah. fact. Yes. Hey. 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 Get it in there. Get it which, in there. which we will come to. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Asia because you know, I mentioned that, 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 that you know, just at the point when you even got together, the UK press were sneering at that at the fact yeah. that, that you know that you'd been in ELP that that mm. uh, John had been in Roxy Music and, and family that uh, uh, Jeff had been in Yes and and Steve had been and in Bungles yes. had yeah. been yeah, yeah. But you were such a massive hit from the off in America. Does that kind of make you feel like, yeah, up yours? Um, well, sort of. <laughs> yeah, to be honest with you, because you're vindicated, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, because you know. Basically, it was a pop song that sort of put it all together. And you think, wow, that's really what they wanted. Because that was radio, that was MTV. We had to have it. Godly and Cream came along and said, we'll make you a, a video, which will be, you know, be a blueprint video. You know, people will copy it. You know, the slow motion, things yeah. catching on fire, glass breaking. We'll do all of that. We did it. And then lots of people followed on. And that was heat of the moment. So yeah. it, it didn't matter where you came from. It was nice to use that card, but it wasn't the card that sold it. The card that sold it was the recordings that were made, fitted radio at the time. Now, we didn't go out to do that. We knew we had to have some commercial music, and we just hoped it wasn't too much, and the album was deep enough for the other guys who were into the music we had things like Wildest Dreams, yeah. still, um, Time and Again, yeah, Time, Time and Again, again yeah. and Soul Survivor all meant something. Mm -hmm. So, OK, maybe we'll, uh, we're all right here. And we were. We were OK. I, so it worked incredibly well. But Geffen was the, the main guy there, the main man. I was at the very first show you played at the UK. Oh, were you? At Wembley Arena in the second row. And I, uh, it was absolutely astonishing because yeah. I'd never seen what was sort of pitched as a sort of I mean, an arena style show before. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, I can still remember it yeah, so yeah. clearly. We, wow. we were at, we were actually so, um, sort of this, uh, the, that side of the stage. So, yeah. stage, well, I don't know how you do it because we're looking at the stage, it's the right, but I guess it's that's stage, 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 stage left. Yeah, always forget that. Forget that. So, when you're on stage, yeah. stage left, yeah. stage right. So, we were stage left under John. Right, right, so, okay. Well, um, that was your first arena gig. That was my first oh, arena gig. Well, Didn't know, have a, them in Australia. Asia never really played many arenas, even in America, just so you know that. I mean, we played the, a small hockey arena, which you're talking about seven, 8,000, played a few of those. But in general, we were in theatres 2000. Really? Yes. See, the perception is that you were out there doing... Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, not at all. We didn't tour enough. What happened was, in hindsight, and obviously I learned the lessons as I go, what happened, that album was so big on a global level, we should have toured the world Globally, we yeah. should have gone everywhere and we should have laid down the roots. This is us. Come and see us again. We didn't do that. We limited it to a little bit in Europe, some in England, a lot in America. So when we got round to making the next album, we hadn't been in Australia. We yeah. hadn't been in Japan. You know, we hadn't done these things. So we didn't have the box office, as they say in our business, that we needed to right. get to ramp it up, to get to the next arena every night situation. Um, so that's what went wrong there. We... 
we were kind of bamboozled into making the second album too soon. And right. you know what it's like. You spend all your yeah. life writing the first album and the second album you're told to write in six minutes, you but, know. I Very mean, difficult. But as I, you made the point, and I agree, that you know, you've got the balance, um, certainly on the first record, and to a large degree, yeah, the second record between, you know, something that's going to appeal to radio and something that's going to appeal to the people that bought the records of yeah. the bands that you'd been in. Yes, yes. And also, because I still listen to those two albums a lot, I'm, to me, you know, we are talking, what, 18, 19, 40 years down the line, yeah. they still hold up. Yeah, yeah. Which well, I think is power of the quality of the songwriting. I think the songwriting, I think the performance, yep. and I do think that the production by Mike Stone was exceptional. Now, the reason why I say that is because last year, as you know, when John had died, you mm -hmm. know, the, and... Um, we had uh, an opportunity to go out with Journey, which we did do. So last year, March, we went out with Journey, and then June and July, we went out with Journey. This was something that we always wanted to do. John died the January. Yeah. So um, anyway, before he passed, I asked him what would uh, be what would be the, the way he could do the tour, trying to be on a positive thought. Uh, he said, well, if I could have somebody come in and maybe play a bit of bass, um, help with the singing, I could definitely do all of the shows. That's what he thought then. He didn't make that. But the person he mentioned was Billy Sherwood. Yep. Billy Sherwood came in and did it. What I noticed, even though John wasn't there to appreciate it, I noticed on that Journey tour... Um, Journey wanted us. They said, find another singer, Carl Neil, Sean. Find another. I said, it's not that easy. You know, right. I've been looking for singing bass players all my life. And <laughs> Paul McCartney doesn't seem to come knocking out the door. What am I going to do? And he can't uh, play flute. Yeah, and, I, and he can't play flute. He won't stand on one leg, you know. Um, so we found someone, and which was John's request. So that fitted in lovely. And, you know, we, you know, put John to rest and stuff. We went out and played in front of Journey 45-minute sets. And I was amazed at this younger audience because Journey played to a demographic, the women, a lot of women, about mm. 35. Oh, yeah. Not like as old as what the guys are. in the, they've, they've kept this going, this thing. And well, it's, it's Glee. Glee, yeah. Glee brought yeah, And it's just, just fantastic. And I was amazed because we were playing to the right audience. Yeah. They knew the Asia songs, even though they probably were seven years old or whatever yeah. when we made that, or not even born, you know. So that must be a great thing to be there and watch happening. Yeah, and I thought, you know, that, this is fantastic, you know. And uh, that, was a, that was a great time. It was a great way to sort of finish up Asia. That's not to say that Asia won't do something again. Mm -hmm. I think we possibly will do. Yeah, We're still talking. Jeff and I have got a few ideas, and once he's uh, wound up by the end of the year, we're going to sit down and have a serious talk. It's good to know. I mean, obviously, we've been talking about a very illustrious musical past, but the reason we are actually sat here talking is because you... Musical present. Yeah, your musical present. I mean, you've got some gigs coming up in the mm -hmm. UK. Um, yeah. The album, the live uh, Carl Palmer's LP Legacy album, yeah. has just come out yeah. as well. Um, and the DVD. And then DVD, you've been yeah. touring most of the year... You've been playing live. In, yes. Uh, so how's, how's that all been going? Um, America seems to be very strong. Very pleased about that. Um, England is, is okay. You know, I love to play in England. Mm. Um, Europe, not too bad. I'm about to go to Europe in, in August. Mm. Um, I have to say, all that works really well. South America, where I've just come back from, has just been phenomenal. Mm. Right. Unbelievable, the Prague and stuff. They, you know, Argentina and all that. They just love it. They've, mm. got, they've got Prague magazines the size of telephone directories yeah. there. No, seriously. It's a big audience, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. Mm. Um, it's been going real well. I mean... 
it's an instrumental group. Yes. You know, and a lot of people said, why don't you add a vocalist, Carl? So I said, look, you know, I might think about doing that. But ELP played a lot of instrumental music. When we played with Alan Parsons, he said to me, we're having dinner one night. He said, did you consciously make an effort to be instrumental? I said, to be honest, yeah. I thought I'd be really greedy and just do what I wanted to do and pick the music I wanted to play and just be a purist. And how many sort of metal prog bands that play instrumentals do you know? He said, not many. I said, that's great. I want to be <laughs> Niche, you know. Um, anyway, it's nice and niche. Yeah. Anyway, so um, when we were in South America, I did have some local singers from local big bands, metal bands, come along and sing "Lucky Man." I had about four of them. Wow. Guess, come how on. did you? How did you choose them? How did well, you? Well, I wanted. I spoke to the promoters. We found out who was the band of the day, and right. how you know. Got, some of them were good. Some of them were okay. Okay. You know, <laughs> and that's the way it's gone. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't c- consider putting in a vocalist. I just haven't sort of found anything that's absolutely hundred percent right yet. You know, I enjoy what we do anyway. As I say because it is niche I like that um, and it's not everybody's cup of tea and I understand that but that's fine that's so the fine. guys that you're working with um, Paul and Simon who you've been working with for a while actually yeah. you said you get such a buzz off working with younger oh, I just musicians. love it yeah, yeah the energy and the enthusiasm it just um, keeps me awake um, you know when you've got to, when, you've, when you've got people <laughs> like helpful. Paul Bielatovich and uh, and Simon Fitzpatrick who plays the Chapman stick and we can do all those Moog solos and things at the end of Lucky Man and things, you think wow this is really cool what I'm trying to do do. I'll be very honest with you. What I'm trying to do is just show the versatility of ELP music. Take it to a new generation. There's no need to use keyboards and use a singer necessarily because, I, you know, I played with the two greatest in the world. I just want to show the music in another light. Mm. And I know in America, for example, I've managed to get across to that new generation. I get the dads my age come with their son who's late 30s, 40s with their son. And <laughs> like the dad's saying, well, I played in this car. He knows. And then he's buying my CDs and going, yeah, but Dad, I like it with the guitars and this and that. And there's that thing, there's that crossover. And it just shows you how great the music is. Because even though I was in the band, I have to say, the writing uh, of VLP's music, and a lot of that was down to Keith, is just phenomenal. Mm. He's probably the greatest musician I've ever played with. And obviously Greg also, with his songs that opened the door for radio yeah. for us, if they weren't there, we probably, I probably wouldn't be here today talking mm. with you. you know? Watching the DVD that comes with the new live album, um, what I was struck with was how you've revitalised Emerson, Lake and Palmer's music Um, in a a way I wasn't quite expecting. Um, It it hit quite a lot harder in places uh, and I thought that was great. Um, It really refreshed... Yes. Everything and I um, mean, you certainly look like you know, you're, you're you're drumming with with new vigor. Yeah. Not that I mean, you've always been one of the yeah, one yeah. of you know the best drummers I've ever seen live. Oh, thank you. But um, Do you want you... The money now? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you guys are really going for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, it was a way of trying to get some new energy into the music by using a different lineup. And whilst when you use guitar, six string guitar, a six string bass, or the ten string uh, Chapman stick you're always going to lose some harmonies and some inversions on the chords because you haven't got a keyboard. But what you're going to get is another is another avenue open up, probably a bit more rock, a bit harder, a bit more aggressive, possibly a bit more exciting in a different way. Yeah. Not a better way, it's a yeah. different way. And, of course, that different way was what I was looking forward to or looking for because I knew that I couldn't just copy what we've done. I've got to take, I've got to take the broadsheet on this and go right out there. If they like it, they like it. Years ago, if we had had somebody like Paul Bielatovich come into the room and play with Keith 
Greg and myself, we'd have probably been a four-piece band. We couldn't find anyone. Right. We really couldn't find a guitar player. So we thought we'll do it on our own. And Keith was up for that anyway, because he'd just come from the nice. And mm-hmm. I kind of liked a trio thing because I'd just come from Atomic Rooster. But if we could have found some... But guitar players, if you think about it, weren't that good then. There but, was more great keyboard players. Today, what is it? There's more great guitar, guitar players, players yeah. and not so many great keyboards. There is there is that apocryphal tale, which, which probably you can tell us if it's true or not, that you did consider once getting Jimi Hendrix because you could have called yourselves help. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Unfortunately, Why did that not happen? I, 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 yeah, unfortunately, number one, number one, I never saw Jimi Hendrix in the rehearsal room. Number two, I only ever met Jimi Hendrix once when I was touring with um, Chris Farlow. Um, number three, out of the Jimi Hendrix experience, the only person that played from that band with EL was Mitch Mitchell. Mitch Mitchell was the first choice. Right. Mm. Mitch Mitchell came down and played, and I think that's where the Hendrix thing might have come ah, in. Right. But I think it came in via a gentleman called Chris Welsh. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I know Chris. Um, hence the word help, you know. <laughs> yeah. he, he had, once I was in the band, he was, a, he was a fan of mine, I think that. But I never saw Jimi right. Hendrix there. That, that's just purely yeah. a journalistic... I suspect, I suspected it may yeah. have been. But uh, Mitch was the, was the first drummer of choice. And uh, I believe... Great drummer. Yeah, oh, fantastic. I was a big fan, massive fan. I think Mitch came down, played, and I don't know what went wrong, but the next minute, uh, Tony Stratton-Smith, who managed The Nice, yep. called me up, and that's how it began. So um, you've got these live dates, the live album, um, mm. but it's not just uh, music that you're involved with these days. No. Um, you're an artist. Yeah, uh, that's what they say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe them, but that's what they say. <laughs> Joe, do you want to take this on? Well, yeah, on the, yeah, let, yeah, let's talk about how arty you are, art school kids and the things that you've been doing, because, uh, yeah, go on. Oh, no, go on. <laughs> um, no, never went to art school, but what I did do... In 73, and it's actually in my art book. I've got a book of the two catalogues that I produced and how this art form started. Basically, in 73, I decided to tape some light bulbs to the end of my drumsticks with a cable going down to a battery on the floor, white bulb, and mine playing the drums. I've got a photographer friend round to come and take pictures of me doing all this, you know, arcs and lights, slow shutter speeds. Got some great photographs. And I sent one off to the local paper in Birmingham. Before you know it, there it was, in the paper, big picture. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. I've always been interested with light. I think it started with Arthur Brown, with all the strobe lights I had around me, you know, watching the drumstick go through these lights. I thought, wow, that's that's interesting. No drugs involved, but I thought that was great, you know. (laughs) Um, And then I did the taping of the light bulbs. Roll forward about 30 years the Chinese developed a drumstick that was LED lights in the tip that you play. Red, yellow, green, blue. But they used to break. Of course. So no good. Uh, Roll forward like another 10 years, they developed them where they didn't break, the right way, you could smash around all day, nothing went off. So I got a call from a company in LA called Scene 4. They said, "Um, Carl, we wondered if you were interested in... And they gave me the story. I said, done it, got the T-shirt, I'll send you the picture. They said, no, 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 you've not done this. I said, I have, I have, I've done it. They didn't believe me. (laughs) I was up in the bloody loft for about an hour trying to find this picture. Anyway, I got the picture, sent it to them, said, oh, I'm very sorry. I said, no, no, don't be sorry. I said, I've been there, what have you got? They told me. Sent the drumsticks through, I played with them, and I swear to God, Jerry, they were unbelievable. I thought, this is it. I go to uh, Los Angeles. We set the drums up in a room about 12 foot square, pitch black. I've got one guy with two cameras, digi cameras, 
shutter speeds, different speeds, slow, fast. I've got a flash on one every now and again. And I start playing with two colours, a yellow and a blue, start playing away. And we capture this stuff, which is unbelievable. I'm going, wow. I said, just let me just try an experiment. Let me see what Tarkus looks like in light. So yeah. I play the rhythm Tarkus, which is 10-8 or 5-4, depending how you want to count. And I'm playing away, playing away. And I say, wow, that's interesting. Takes about seven hours to get a painting because sometimes you get just lots of blobs of light. Yeah. You don't get you don't get the the separation. So what I'm after capturing are the shadows which are created and the reflections of light along with the movement of light, and that's what makes up the art. Wow. So if you go to carlpalmerart.com, you'll see a little video. Mm. You see what it's all about. But that's how it started, and I've been doing it now seven years. Yeah. I think we've sold about six hundred canvases. Um, or just over, and every time uh, they've been sold, they've been given to a charity, whether it be Cancer, Heart Foundations, Good Hope, um, which is a place up in uh, in Rochester, New York, it's for young children with cancer. Even don- donkey sanctuaries. I mean, it's everyone, yeah. you know, I've given it to like... Mm. And yeah. if it's gone on and on like that, and the, 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 the charities have got their name in the book, and then everyone that's bought a piece, if they wanted their name in the book, we put their name in the book as oh, well. Great. So it's been a lovely experience, and it's still going. I just come back from a, an art event I had in San Diego, and that went remarkably well. Mm. So this thing keeps evolving it as does, well. It does, yeah, it does. And, and it's now w- evolved into something yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was there was a piece from my first collection called Orcadia. And for some unknown reason, we never got this orchid-like colour and pattern from the moving of the drumsticks around. I was just flashing around one day. I wasn't playing anything in particular. And um, the colours look great in the computer, and I'm thinking... Because years ago, as I say, we couldn't have done this because we didn't have computers in 73, didn't have digi cameras, we didn't have the LED drumsticks. So yeah. it's, it's, it's an art form that belongs to us now, you know. So I'm flashing around, and I get this thing come up, and it's a great painting. It's like a pink and white on one side and goes into like a green I'm thinking how did that happen anyway it becomes part of my first collection I call it Orcadia it sells out immediately Mm. anyway a couple of years go by and I look down the list and I notice that all the people that bought it were women yeah well, a lot, a lot of them, 75, 80%. Both of my daughters, that's the first one they wanted. Got it. <laughs> so I thought, what I'll do, I'm going to make a scarf for Katie, my partner. So I thought, I'm going to use Orcadia as the print. So I started talking to her. She had been in the fashion business for a long time. And I said, who makes the best silk scarves? And she said, Beckford Silk. Don't mean anything to me. <laughs> I go to I go to the RA, the Royal Academy, and I go to the Victoria and Albert, and I, I go into their gift shop, and I notice that these silk scarves that people like hot me and turn, and they got these things made up. You know, I think, wow, these are classy. Mm. Find it's this company. Right. Call them up and say, could you do one? Could you make one? Send the PDF. This is the scarf. It had to elongate it, obviously. Um, they made one, and it's been incredibly successful. Mm. You Just were saying has... that you launched, kind of launched it at uh, Cruise <laughs> to the Edge. Yes, yeah. Cruise to the Edge this year. I played there, so um, I was doing an art event, and I, at the end of the event, I said, and by the way, I'd like you all to see this scarf, which is this painting here, which is sold out, but I've made this scarf for my partner, Katie. She was on the balcony. I said, come and get it, Kate. She didn't realise. And uh, we started taking orders, and I explained to people, I'm not a scarf maker. You know, I don't do this. Mm. This was a one-off. Um, anyway, we're making scarves. Yeah, <laughs> it's very pretty scarf. It's and like beautiful. you say, top quality. Yeah, lovely, lovely. And 
dandified. As no, I was saying earlier, I think it kind of goes back to your psychedelic days. It, maybe, sure. maybe. <laughs> well, that's what happens, you see, with this uh, light form, this art form. It can either be really controlled with the shadows and the reflections, and you can see a little bit of my face maybe occasionally, but it has to be set up to create that. So it's controllable to a certain extent, but... The rest of the time, you're just going to get a lot of flashy lights, and which means nothing. Occasionally, they're really distinct, you know, mm. and organised, and then that's the piece of art, you know. But you never know how to get it. In actual fact, if I was to say to you, um, I'll go in and do the same tomorrow, same camera positions, same shutter speeds, same sticks, play the same, do it, won't create it. So it's like yeah. a live performance, but it's, with art. Yeah, it's like, you know, when people say to you... So oh, everything that's captured is actually quite yeah, unique. Yeah, it's yeah. like they say when they're writing a song, you know, oh, it just comes to you, you suddenly it's there. You know, the next day, no, it's like that. It just came and, you know, the oh. art form has formed. So anyway, um, what I have done, the only thing that I've done now, which I wanted to do as a sign of respect um, with, with the art, I've done a piece called Welcome Back, which... Um, uh, was for Keith Emerson when he died. And, of course, you know, Greg died in the same year, mm -hmm. which was 16, 2016. Mm. So I did a, another piece for Greg called Lucky Man. I did superimpose the J200 on that, which is his famous guitar. On the Welcome Back, I superimposed the Moog for Keith. Um, and I've never superimposed or changed anything. The artwork either works or it doesn't. Yeah, it gets yeah. scrapped. If you've done seven hours, you haven't got anything, it's gone. Go Come back tomorrow. And then, of course, John died in the January. So I did, uh, I did Heat of the Moment. I played the parts to Heat of the Moment, see which ones were the best. And we got something... I didn't think it was very good. It was a lot of pink and flashing, but there's no reflections. You couldn't see anything, no shadows, just this pink everywhere but at the bottom of the uh, of the artwork of the picture that we managed to create there was these white lines which looked like angels standing up in a in a in a circle singing and i thought that's uh, it archangel got it yeah that's it oh that's yeah it. brilliant that's brilliant. it is that's it so um i superimposed on that a d12 microphone he never used one but that's always been the singer's microphone yeah. iconic picture so i've got a series now called my legends i don't want to do a fourth one for anyone uh, but i've got three of them now so that's where the art is at today fantastic. that's the last thing absolutely fantastic yeah. so um yeah, what tour, what tour have you got coming up? What date's next? We've got uh, I've got three dates here in the UK. Uh, the second, we're in Chelsea, the bridge. Uh, and then I've got Trading Boundaries. And then I'm off to the um, the New Day Festival. And I've seen that the New Day Festival's got a great lineup. Yeah, the day yeah. that you're playing, you're yeah. reunited with Arthur I Brown. Know, I, know. <laughs> I think Atomic Rooster as well. Uh, it yeah, is. Yeah, there's, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, we've got oh, two of our, our favourites, Gong and Hawkwind, oh, Atomic Rooster, Caravan as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's you. Arthur nice. Brown curved there. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bernie Tormey. There you go. <laughs> uh, and then we've got like about five, six days off, and then we go into Europe, and we're sort of through um, Austria, Germany, um, Bratislava, and that type, about 10, 12 concerts. It seems like you never rest. <laughs> um, I, well, to tell you the truth, Joe, when I've added all the dates up throughout the, out the year, I probably work about six months, seven months. Right. If you were to condense yeah, it all. Yeah. Obviously, it's spread out over the year. And... Uh, I'm very happy to do that. I don't know what else what I do, you see, because leaving school at 15 and turning professional, this is the only thing I've ever done, so what do I do? I mean, I don't play golf, I can't play football, you know, I can swim and I can run and I like to play bowls, but, you know, once I've done that once in the week, I'm oh, done. Bowling, you know? so, so, bowling. Come on. So, so, so the, art, bowling, yeah. the, the art thing really is, is, is a great 
It's a great release. A great outlet yeah, it's as lovely. well, I mean, away I ha- from the music. I have discovered, this is going to sound funny to all your listeners, but uh, I have discovered the Lake District. All right. uh, and I've only been there three times. It's been times. there for a while. I know. <laughs> I know somebody <laughs> told me that and I thought, why did I miss that? But I know why I missed it, because there's no gigs up there, you know, so I've yeah. never, I've never <gasps> gone Floating up. gig. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, Kendall, prob- and Kendall's up yeah, there as yeah. well. I know, I know. So, so you're going to go, yeah, you go for like from Liverpool, probably across to Newcastle, you know, but you'd miss over there. Yeah, 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 every time. Anyway, so I enjoy, I do enjoy trekking and that kind of right. stuff and taking photographs and stuff. So that's been a great joy recently. And I did have a, a few days up there this year, which is lovely. Cool. Mm. Well, I have to say, I mean, you're looking great. Thank you. Um, you know, the live album is sounding great. Looking forward to coming down to the Chelsea show to see you there. Oh, good. Um, Carl, guest leaves us to say thank you very much for yeah, joining us. Thanks. It's been, an, nice to see you both, been right? an absolute pleasure sitting here and chatting with Kendall you. Kendall Dynasty you. in the house. Absolutely. <laughs> All day long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>